Welcome to Illuminating Health, the UCSF School of Nursing's podcast that sheds light on health and healthcare issues affecting our daily lives. I'm your guest host for today's episode, Denise Balestra, current student and registered nurse in the adult GERO primary care nurse practitioner and occupational environmental health specialty. And today I'm joined by two other wonderful nurses, Professor Heather Lutweiler and PhD student Taylor Kafaro work extensively to provide high quality care for those who are unhoused. The housing crisis is a major issue confronting many cities across the nation, including here in San Francisco. How unhoused people access health care is a topic that is often misunderstood. Heather, please help us understand being unhoused, the causes of the housing crisis, the number of people who are unhoused in San Francisco. Yeah, that's a big question, but an important question. And I'm going to start with, um, I think, the sort of some of the pathways into being unhoused. And there's definitely not one pathway there. I think one of the big things to think about is our housing crisis and how housing is really inaccessible and the high co- cost of housing, especially here in the Bay Area, but but really, you know, across the country. So I think that's one aspect of it. You really have to also think about uh, systemic and structural racism and how that's played a role in houselessness, um, both here in San Francisco and the Bay Area, but again, across the country. In terms of numbers of people that are unhoused, um, when you look at the Bay Area, um, and I think people often see this when they walk around San Francisco, it's pretty obvious that we have a serious um housing crisis when you see people literally sleeping and living on the street. And I think it's awfully sad because it's become something that we're just so used to now and it's become something that's just so, such a part of our regular lives. So every, I think it's every other year, there's a point in time count that's conducted. And what happens is uh, teams go out you know, across the country to count the amount of people that are living unhoused in cities. So in 2022, uh, the point in time count revealed that there were 7,754 individuals were identified as living unsheltered in San Francisco, and uh, 43% of those, 3,357, were actually living unsheltered. And then what kind of health issues do unhoused or unsheltered people face? People that are living unhoused face all the same health issues that, that other people are facing. Um, part of the problem is that they're living unhoused. And so what might be a minor issue for me when I have access to a house and water and healthcare could become a much bigger problem for someone that's unhoused. So like, let's say, for example, I um, go out running and I trip and I get like a, a wound on my leg or hand because I've tripped and fallen. I can wash myself up, put a bandage on it and get better um, and probably heal without any kind of complication. But if you're living unhoused and you get a wound from an accident, that could get infected and turn into a big problem pretty quickly. Some of the other issues that happen when people are living unhoused is um, that environment's really not good for your mental health. So it can also exacerbate mental health issues. And Taylor spent a lot of time, you know, out on the street caring for folks. So Taylor might have other thoughts about the health issues that people are dealing with. 
Yeah, I think too, you know, we know that um, houselessness really uh, prematurely ages folks. So we see some of these chronic conditions we see in geriatric populations come a lot younger. And similar to what you're saying, Heather, is where these things may be manageable in a stable living environment where there's access to um, all of our basic needs, right? Those may be a little bit more able to be managed um, at home. And, and I think too, there's a, a, an issue of access to primary care when let's say you live somewhere and you get swept, you know, you're on the street and then the department of public works comes in and you get moved. Maybe your clinic was walkable and now your clinic, it takes three buses and they have a 15 minute tardy policy and you just may have been really engaging your primary care and now all these structural barriers have hit and you don't really have the same access. And so when we take away um, access to preventative and primary care, we're going to see these treatable chronic conditions get these acute flares. Um, and, you know, there's a common misconception of unhoused folks really inappropriately using the emergency department for primary care needs. But what we found is really that most high utilizers of emergency departments, that's those with five or more visits in a year, are actually sick enough to require this high level of care. And they do often find themselves admitted inpatient because they require kind of like this like long-term high level of, of care. When folks are no longer really able to manage chronic care in an outpatient setting and require inpatient care, it just builds up the number of people taking up beds and taking up resources. and taking up time of care providers. And when we when you live in an urban area like the San Francisco Bay Area, we're already impacted, you know, and then you add to this uh, further impaction by a community that really has unique healthcare needs coming into this system. There's just a lot of squeeze. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a problem for the whole system, right? And, it, and there's not enough inpatient beds, there's not enough beds, people are in the hallways in the emergency department. It's just a, an overcrowding issue that is um, made worse, I don't love that word, but made worse by, by the, the fact that the, the chronic and acute healthcare needs of this community can become large and can need this high level of care. And then I think one of the another big issue is how do we discharge this community appropriately? You know, for folks who are housed, they get discharged to their home. There are home healthcare nurses. There are presumably family members who live in the same home, neighbors who who are right next door who can keep an eye on and help manage these sort of subacute on the way out of discharge health needs. But to be discharged to the street or to be discharged to a shelter you know, how do we have this continuity of care from hospital discharge back into the community and back into outpatient services? And I think that's something that uniquely impacts this community in particular um, and doesn't have that same impact on, on folks with stable housing. As one of the founding people of the UCSF School of Nursing's street nursing team, what inspired you to start that team uh, you know, working in unhoused populations and working in street-based services is what brought me into nursing in the first place. Um, prior to nursing, I worked at syringe access services and in substance use research. And so I took a look around kind of of my colleagues and who was doing the coolest work and who I really respected. And they were all nurses, you know. And so 
I was like, this is obviously where I need to be. So I got myself into nursing school. And, and when I looked around, I found the same of so many of my colleagues. You know, my, my co-founders, Tessa Rubin and Megan Grant, both had a ton of experience working out in the street and with unhoused community members. And then some of our early leadership team members, Katie Machado and Janelle Silvis, they were all brought into nursing for the same reason. It was a passion for working in this community. So basically the second, the last of us got our RN license, we were like, okay, here we go. We got to hit the streets. Like, what are we going to do? Uh, and we were able to pool together $2,000 of our own money and buy some like basic wound care supplies, you know, stethoscope, uh, uh, blood pressure cuff. And we were like eager, you know, like, oh, let us, <laughs> let us add them. But of course, that's like not the right way to go about providing care. So we, we really did look around and see where there might be need. And we approached a group called Lava May. And they are um, a group that provides showers and toilets in these mobile units. And uh, at the time, they were you know, like 10 times a week around San Francisco. And so first, we just went to some of their pop-up care villages to talk to people. We really needed to do a needs assessment before we <laughs> inserted ourselves <laughs> you know, into this group of people who may not have wanted us. But they did. There were some really sort of um, clearly nursing-specific needs in the community, care coordination, wound care, medication management, um, education, like nursing education gaps in knowledge and such. And so we said, you know, Lava May does seem like we could be useful. And they were excited to have us two days a week behind their, um, their rigs. And folks would come up to us so we didn't have to approach them. So only the folks that really were interested in, in connecting with us could. And we were really um, bootstrapping it. It was just so simple, but it was really impactful. And we were starting to see people engage with us more and engage, more importantly, in their primary care and in their other care needs were being met a little bit better. I think just because there was a check-in, this person that they knew was going to ask them about, did you go to that visit? Did you ever end up at the Suboxone Clinic? How's that going? Um, and we were kind of a good poke or reminder of, of some healthcare needs. And that's when we really started to understand how many of these folks were utilizing the emergency department and, and what the impact might be for the emergency departments around the Bay. Uh, so we started looking into that, and that's when we found all this research about these high utilizers and, and the disproportionate use among unhoused folks. So we started to think about what would it look like to integrate street nursing into an emergency department, and we found um, this care model of care called the Transitional Care Model by Mary Naylor uh, out at Penn, and she did this with, with elders. Um, and it was a way of trying to avoid repeat admissions after a long stint inpatient. And what they would do is they would bring a nurse in, an advanced practice nurse and an RN while they were still in the hospital, while they were still admitted. And they would really think of a care transition plan for once folks were outside of the hospital. And it was all fine tuned to the specific person's needs. So we adapted it to, to meet the needs specifically of our community. And we, we presented it to the emergency department and they liked the idea quite a bit, especially in this program called EDDY, where they were already tracking this high utilization and trying to intervene with folks who were frequent visitors, where there may be an opportunity to reintegrate them into outpatient care. And we were free labor, you know, so they loved that too. And <laughs> we ended up getting a couple really great grants and we were able to 
um, build some financial stability for the last three years in, in providing um, this care that we called the bridge care model. Really, we were bridging folks from these inpatient and ED encounters into outpatient specialty and primary care, with the only goal being keeping them well enough to be able to reintegrate and then sticking with them long enough until they were really able to navigate it themselves or integrate into a case management program within their, their health home. We got so lucky that Heather made a point to connect with us. And I think we were at this point where either we were going to have to stop doing this because volunteering was more hours than we could manage. Many of us were having to get jobs to be able to sustain our way through grad school. And Heather was the, the one with all of this amazing institutional knowledge and, and um, was able to navigate grants and really help us see the bigger picture. We were just like new and fresh and excited. And she was all the knowledge of, of how do we really create a system here that could self-sustain? How do we find grant funding? How do we get really specific about our goals of care? How do we make sure our model is clean and applicable and um, put, put all of this amazing structure and mentorship into this team. And I think, you know, really, well, I know for sure that if Heather hadn't come in when she did, this program would have died off. But I, I also know for sure that it was, it, it gained this robustness um, once Heather came on board that I think is what made us be able to actually succeed in our partnership with the emergency department. That was so critical when Heather joined. You know, and the cool thing as a faculty member too, is that we're often the people doing the teaching and like, obviously I'm still doing the teaching and mentoring, but I've learned so much from working with the street nursing team, because like I said, everyone comes with these different backgrounds and I've just, I've grown clinically because I've learned different approaches to care and different ways of doing things. And I think I've also learned to be a better educator from, from going through this process with street nursing. And um, that's been great as well. I'm hearing the impact of the street nursing program on you both clinically as educators, as people, what is the impact of the program on the community? Um, everybody gets better. communities. <laughs> <laughs> One of the, um, patients that was referred to us from the emergency department. Um, and the way that this would work is people that were coming in frequently and frequently sometimes meant um, once a week, sometimes it meant multiple times a day. But the ED, uh, uh, clinicians would say, okay, this person's coming in a lot. Let's see if street nursing can kind of help um, curb some of their visits and maybe get them into more appropriate care. So this was one person that was coming in and is an older adult and he was referred to us because he was coming in frequently for a lice treatment. Um, and that obviously wasn't really a great use of the emergency department resources. So our team uh, connected with this person when they were in the emergency department and introduced ourselves and said, hey, we can kind of meet with you when you're back out where you live um, in the community. And, and this person agreed. Once the team met with him on the street, they realized there was a lot of other stuff going on. Like he was dealing with really kind of profound symptoms of schizophrenia. Um, he was dealing with profound hearing loss as well. Um, and this was all while living unhoused on the street as an older adult. So that's, I mean, a lot to deal with if you're housed, but you're living on the street and you're maybe hearing voices and you're having some hearing loss. Like it's just a really vulnerable situation for someone to be in. Um, so over the course of a year, 
our street nursing team connected this person with treatment for lice, lots of clean clothes and sleeping bags. Uh, they also worked to connect this person with housing and it took a lot of um, strategizing and trying to get this person a case manager and a psychiatrist and kind of all the supports that this person needed to get connected to the system and then eventually to housing. I say this about a lot of our patients, but I think the number one thing that the team did was provide um, kindness and support. And I, I think if we could do that in our clinical work with all of our patients, just, you know, an extra dose of kindness and support could really go a long way. But uh, especially with, with our community members that are living on house, it's really critical. So the patient that I'm thinking of is a little bit like a personal success for a patient, but also has like a kind of a public health implication, which I think is really interesting. Um, so this is a patient who uh, is living with HIV and had been out of care for a long, 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 long time and would blip up at the emergency department and kind of engage and then disappear and then blip up at the emergency department and kind of engage and disappear. And it was well known that, that their HIV wasn't being managed you know, by any providers and, um, and was like of, of major concern. And um, they were also pretty, what I would call like precariously housed, um, living at a family member's house, but often kicked out due to <laughs> the conflict common with living in a family member's house, right? Like all the normal things, you know? Um, so they would be in and out of that house and they did have a social worker connected to their case, but that person had how many people on their caseload. So they would go out as often as possible. But one of the great things about street nursing is one team had five patients. And so that meant we could go out as much as we want and go to try to find some of these folks many, many times a week. And so that's what we did with this patient. We literally just knocked on their door and knocked on their door and knocked on their door. And our number one goal, I always said to our team, our number one goal is just for them to say yes to us coming back to see them. And so it took months and months and months before we could even talk about care. It was more about building rapport and trust and being reliable to this patient and coming to them on the regular and knocking on that door. And sometimes they would send us away, but most of the time they would open the door and agree to seeing us again. And that snowballed into having a telehealth visit with one of the HIV specialists at Ward 86. That snowballed into a reconnection with case management at Ward 86. That snowballed into community-based long-acting injectable. And then it really snowballed into the most important thing, which was getting him reintegrated into care in a real way. And this patient, it turned out, had an HIV-related cancer, um, as well as a lot of other you know, HIV-related complications due to having you know, not had access to adequate care for so long. And in getting him really reconnected and actually admitted, they were able to treat the um, cancer. They were able to get the viral load from many, many millions to untransmissible. They were able to get him into transitional to permanent housing. They were able to get him into adequate, appropriate psych care. But the public health implication here is untransmissible is untransmissible. And a lot of the way we're thinking about reducing new HIV cases and new HIV transmission is by treating folks who are living with HIV to a level where the virus itself is not transmissible. And that was a huge success here. So not only is this patient living healthier and living with HIV in a way where they weren't facing major health consequences, 
it also reduced a transmission concern with, you know, with a viral load that was um, untransmissible. So that was a, that was a really exciting um, success story for us. Denise, you were our community health worker, and we brought you on because we absolutely adored you and your resume and your passion for this community, but you were not intending to be a nurse. And now we sit here today, and you're an RN, and you're an NP student, and you are so passionate about street-based care. And I'm wondering, like, what was the impact of this program on you? I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do as a nurse. I knew I just wanted to be a nurse, but I didn't really have like an idea of what specific niche I fell into. Fast forward to now, I just have such a passion for this population and I really hope to continue working with this population as a registered nurse and then as a future nurse practitioner. One of the reasons why I applied to the nursing program and specifically the adult gerontology specialty is because of what Taylor was saying earlier that this population ages much faster than what sheltered people age. So for me, that meant learning about the older population because this is the population I want to work with and they age faster. So learning more about that and also integrating the environmental health aspect. They're living unsheltered. How is the environment, the physical environment around them affecting these people? It definitely has shaped my future, for sure. I wanna know from both of your perspectives, why do you think nurses are uniquely equipped to lead this type of care model? But one of the, the strengths is I think a lot of nurses keep the person in the center, you know? And they're really focused on the person and not just the illness. And they're thinking about all of the environment around the person. So when Denise, when you were talking about the environment of where people are living, that nurses aren't thinking about just, oh, this person has diabetes and I need to make sure they have insulin. You're also thinking about where are they going to store it? How are they going to manage it? So it's, it's not just here's the medicine, take it. It's what are all the issues and supports and things that are going to help this person. And I think nurses are great at at look, seeing that big picture, but, but also keeping the person in the center of that picture. Yeah, I could not agree more with that. I think, you know, uh, the people that are driven to nursing tend to be caretakers. And I think that that is something that nursing has kept a hold of. And it is at the center of our training. It's not just like, oh, it happens to be that a bunch of people that really care and our caretakers are nurses. It's like, no, 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 this is nursing practice. And some people call it capital C care. It's an entire human, but it's also that entire human's entire network. And it's that entire human's entire network's entire world, right? So we care so much about the person the people the person cares about and the community the person belongs to. And how do we make sure that all of that is brought into the care for this person? And I think in our training and in our theories and in our practice is pragmatism, flexibility. We care about every aspect of the, of the life of our patients, not just because we care, but because it these are the clues and the keys to wellness. It's finding the problems in that broader network or in the community and working toward addressing those that allow nurses to really 
provide really good care to their patients. And that's why I think we're so good in hospital settings, but I think that's why we're so good in public healthcare settings and why we're so good in case management settings and in transition settings. Transitional care is where nursing can really shine and care for minoritized communities is where nursing can really shine. And we were able to bring both of those together in our project. And this had to be nursing led, RN led, like at that level, that is the right perfect group of people to be running a program like this. Heather, how has the School of Nursing built upon street nursing? So I think like your your evidence of one of the ways that we have done this, I think we've um, recruited students from street nursing into our programs. It's, I think that's one aspect of it. But I think the other piece is we have a street nursing course that students can officially register for and it's on their transcript and more than just being on their transcript is they can go through the training and learn about this model of street nursing. And I think that's key for, for people that are kind of like you, Denise, coming into this, have some interest in it, interest in it, but don't quite know how to do it. And you learn kind of with our team, but for people that maybe don't have that experience to come into a classroom and learn about what is trauma-informed care? Um, how do we appropriately take care of clients that are unhoused? What are the different theories? But then what are also the practical aspects? Like how do you do wound care on the street? Um, how do you deal with mental health emergencies? on the street or anywhere. So it's, it's a course that provides people with all of that knowledge. And there's also people that sign up for the course that already have a lot of these skills. And I think the great thing about those students taking the course is we all learn from them as well. And I think that's been, for me, one of the cool parts is learning from the students um, and also teaching them new things, but learning from their experience and the different kind of outreach teams that they're in. I'm a PhD student here and my area of interest is really in healthcare utilization patterns and health outcomes for folks experiencing houselessness. And that's not just from evaluating our program, which I will be doing, but, but it's also this bigger picture of like, how do we mold with evidence models of care that really meet the needs of this, of this community? And I think the School of Nursing is uniquely situated to be doing this kind of work, but has made a point to bring people in like me and my other colleagues who are interested in, in healthcare for unhoused communities. And how do we how do we integrate into the broader UCSF conversation and body of research? And I I think we're doing that by Heather's work by my work, by getting postdocs who are interested in this work. The, the School of Nursing is not on accident, bringing in interest and research in this field to make sure that they are a part of evidence-based solutions and evidence-based care practices um, to really address the healthcare needs of our unhoused community. I think there is a future for street nursing, and I think that our our pilot years, especially the two at the emergency department, are really compelling. The data is really compelling, not just in saving money for Medi-Cal or the health centers, which it does, not just in reducing ED visits in half, which it does, not just addressing throughput and overcrowding issues, which, which it does, but in really, really, really fine-tuning care to a community that needs unconventional care models. And so I think there is a future. And I think that because our data is compelling, the future is bright. I second that.
Thank you, Heather and Taylor. Um, And then thank you to our audience of listeners for joining us on this episode of Illuminating Health. We look forward to connecting with you next time.